Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. I am in Acts 22, and in this audio, I am going to cover verses 1 through 21 of Acts 22. Our context is this. We have left Paul off in chapter 21. He's just started a riot in the temple through no fault of his own, but the Jews in the temple there were all hot and bothered, jumping up and down and screaming because they said that Paul was against the law, he was against the temple, and he was against the Jews. And, of course, Paul was not, and he wants to defend himself. He was rescued from the mob by Claudius Lysus, the Roman commander stationed there in the Antonia Fortress, and... Paul asked Antony if he could speak to the crowd. Excuse me, Paul asked Claudius Lysias if he could speak to the crowd, and Lysias said, fine, no problem. So now we start in verse 1 of Acts 22 as Paul begins to address the crowd. He says this, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense, which I now offer to you. Now, brethren and fathers sounds like a strange thing to call the Jewish crowd. Why are they his brethren? Why are they his fathers? Well, that was a common for- form of address used by the Jews, as John Gill and Adam Clark point out. If you recall, Stephen, when he was executed in his kangaroo court trial in Acts 7-2, and he said this, we read this, and he, Stephen, said, Hear me, brethren and fathers, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. And Stephen goes on. So brethren and fathers is what Jews would address each other when they were speaking to a crowd. Now, Paul made a pretty good defense, as we're going to see in this audio in the next few verses. Paul is often said to be a poor speaker, but consider what a difficult speech this was. The people hated his guts, and he had to defend himself in front of that crowd while he was under arrest, chained to Roman soldiers. And again, what's he defending himself against? That he spoke ill of the Jews, the law of Moses, and the temple, which he did not. We go to verse 2, Acts 22, and when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew dialect, that's when the crowd, the Jewish crowd in the temple complex, heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew dialect, that's Aramaic, any New American Standard Bible says Hebrew dialect, but this it's Aramaic. They became even more quiet. Now, why did speaking in Aramaic make them more quiet? Well, if it had been Hebrew, that would have really made them more quiet because it would have made them be forced to pay attention to every word he said because Hebrew was more difficult for them to understand because it's not really the native language. It's more like a literary language. But the reason they probably got quiet is they realized it wasn't Greek. They probably were expecting Paul to speak to them in Greek. And they would have had a hard time understanding that, but because they weren't Hellenistic Jews, they were Jerusalem Jews, Hebraic Jews, and so Greek would not be as natural to them as it would be for a Hellenistic Jew. When they hear it Aramaic, they said, oh, we can understand that, and they got quiet. And also, it might be they were surprised that he was speaking in Aramaic, because Aramaic is the really the holy language, the holy mother tongue, really, of the Jews, and Paul's speaking it. And they might have thought that Paul was actually a Gentile because these Asian Jews who came probably from Ephesus to stir up the crowd and speaking against Paul, they might have given the crowd the false impression that Paul was actually a Gentile. But here he is speaking a Jewish tongue. Well, maybe we ought to give this guy a chance to speak. We go to verse 3 in Acts 22. Paul says this, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. That's Jerusalem, brought up in Jerusalem, educated under Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God just as you all are today. Notice how polite Paul is. Yes, you're zealous for God, and I'm not blaming you for that, but I was zealous for God too. I was brought up the same way you were. He's trying to identify himself with him. That's good communication technique. He immediately identifies himself as a Jew. Hey, I'm not a Gentile. I'm a Jew, just like you guys are. I'm not against the Jewish religion. 
well, he was against the Jewish religion, I guess, but he's not against the Jewish race, let's put it that way, not against the people of the Jews. And he, he admits he was born in a Gentile area uh, in Tarsus, Cilicia, where there were many Jews. But he was, but even though he was born there, he was brought up in Jerusalem. So he was a Jew, brought up in Jerusalem, educated in Gamaliel. Gamaliel is one of the most famous rabbis of the time. What more could you ask for? I am a Jew, Jew, Jew. I'm the Hebrew of Hebrews, he says in another place in one of his letters. Educated according to the law of our fathers. In other words, according not only to the Old Testament law, the law of Moses, but also to the rabbinic traditions, the pharisaical traditions. Rabbinic Judaism, as Adam Clark says, not necessarily just the scriptural Old Testament law of Moses. Of course, Paul knew them both. Since Paul was brought up in the city, he must have come to Jerusalem at an early age. There's another translation of this NIV Study Bible, which is proper, brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, which sounds like he was a little kid being trained by Gamaliel which means that he's been in Jerusalem for a long time. Now, who was Gamaliel? He was the most honored rabbi of the first century, as the NIV Study Bible says. He was possibly the grandson of Hillel. Let me read you about Gamaliel, and which, a story which is recorded in Acts 5, verses 34 through 40. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by all the people, stood up in the council and gave orders to put the men outside for a short time. This is Peter, and I forgot who was with him now. I think it was John, Peter and John, they were put in, in jail by the Sanhedrin because they were preaching in the temple and getting everybody all hot, getting the Pharisees and Sadducees all hot and bothered. And so Gamaliel said, hey, let's, let's just wait a minute. And he said to them, he said to the Sadducees, Gamaliel said to the Sadducees, men of Israel, take care what you propose to do with these men. For some time ago, Thutis rose up claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 400 men joined up with him. But he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After this, man, Judas of Galilee, rose up in the days of the census and drew away some people after him. He too perished, and all those who followed him were scattered. So in this present case, I say to you, stay away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or action is of men, it will be overthrown. But it is, if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them, or else you may even be found fighting against God. So you see, Gamaliel was sympathetic to the Christians, and that was Paul's old teacher. We go to verse 4 of Acts 22. Paul continues, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and putting both men and women into prison. So now Paul says, hey, you're, you want to persecute me? I, I was there. I did it too. He's still identifying with the crowd. I persecuted these Christians just like you want to persecute me as a Christian. Now here's some scriptures that shows how he persecuted the Christians. Acts 8.3, but Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. In Acts 9, 1 through 4. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he, if he found any belonging to the way, that's the church, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And then he, of course, saw the vision of Jesus on the road to Damascus. Now notice that he not only persecuted men, he persecuted men and women. And that detail is mentioned three times here, Acts 22.4, our current verse. Paul says, hey, I put men and women into prison. Acts 26.10, later on, he says, and this is what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. Well, that's, I'm sorry, that doesn't mention uh, that he put men and women in prison. Let me find another verse. Acts 8.3, but Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women. He put them in prison. Acts 9.1 through 4, if he found any belong to the, to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Why did Luke mention that? Probably to show what a mean jerk Paul was before he got saved. 
He was persecuting the fair sex, throwing them in those nasty prisons. Women. I would hope they would sexually segregate the women so they didn't have to stay in the jails with men. I don't know how they did that back then, but Paul really was hard on the early church, and he let the Jews know it. And by the way, this is how, you know, a lot of times people say, you know, Paul killed Christians. And I, I, for a long time, I couldn't find any verse that said that Paul killed, killed Christians until I found this verse, Acts 22, 4. Paul says, I persecuted this way to the death. And that, I think, means that he turned them over to the courts, and some of the courts passed capital punishment on the Christians. Now, of course, you have a problem there because the Jewish courts weren't supposed to do capital punishment. There is a bodaciously large controversy over how much authority Jewish courts had. Could they try capital cases, but they had to have the sentence confirmed by the Romans, or could they try capital cases and pass a capital sentence, but then the the carrying out of the execution could only be done by the Romans, and that is a controversy which I have not examined in too great a detail yet, so I will not state an opinion. But I will say this. Paul says he admitted, I persecuted Christians all the way to the death. The way. And, of course, remember, the way is how is a name that the early church was given. The way. We go to verse 5, Acts 22, 5. As also the high priest and all the council, the elders can testify. In other words, I persecuted the, the way to the death, put men and women into prison. Verse 5. 25, as also the high priest and all the council, the elders can testify. Now, the council, in my translation, NASB, that council is the Sanhedrin, the high court in Jerusalem. Now, the high priest over 20 years ago, when Paul did all this persecution, he's been saved about 20 years. Now, this is the late 50s. He was saved in the early to mid-30s. So let's say that's that's over 20 years he's been saved. And then, I've, as the NIV study Bible points out, and Caiaphas by now is dead. But the records of the high priest would show Paul was speaking the truth, as the NIV Study Bible says. So when Paul appeals to the Sanhedrin, they kept meticulous records. They could testify, yeah, that's true. We gave him a warrant to go up to Damascus to arrest Christians. Yep, that's true. They can testify to that. I'm not afraid of having my statements checked out, fact-checked by the Sanhedrin. From them, that's from the Sanhedrin, I also received letters to the brethren and started off at Damascus. Now that phrase, to the brethren, is confusing. The NIV Study Bible translates it as letters from them and their brothers in Damascus. I was given letters from them and their brothers in Damascus, which is not what it says. I looked at a bunch of other translations, and they all say some form of to the brethren. I also received letters to the brethren. So what are the options here? Well, the brethren could be Christian brethren or Jewish brethren. If it was letters to the Christian brethren... It, the meaning would be something like this. I have a letter here from the Sanhedrin. It's ordered to you, to you Christian Jews. And the the letter here says that you are ordered to go back to Jerusalem to stand trial. So that would be a letter to the brethren, to the Christian brethren. If it's to the Jewish brethren, then it would be to the Jewish authorities in Damascus. And Paul says, I have a letter to you. You are to help me arrest these Christians and bring them back to Jerusalem for trial. So that phrase is a little bit ambiguous, but it's not hard to figure out uh, what is going on here. And so Paul says he started off to Damascus in order to bring even those who were there to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. Now, how were they going to be punished? Well, they would be beaten. we got to remember, Paul, men and women were beaten. They were scourged, horrible punishment. And as John Gill says, they were scourged or, or could, they could be killed. And, of course, they could be imprisoned also. Paul, this thing about the letters being given, Paul is just repeating what Luke's already recorded in Acts 9-2. 
and asked Paul and asked Paul asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So that's just repeating what we already know. We go to Acts 22, verse 6. But it happened that as I was on my way approaching Damascus about noontime, a very bright light suddenly flashed from heaven all around me. Now this noontime is a detail that's not found in the Acts 9 account of Paul's conversion. And that is interesting because it shows that that bright light that flashed around Paul when Jesus appeared to him had to be brighter than the sun. Extraordinarily bright to outlast, to outshine the noonday sun, as John Gill points out. Verse 7 in Acts 22, And I, Paul, fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It was not, it was not only Paul who fell to the ground, those who were with Paul fell to the ground. Acts 26:14. Paul's telling the story again in another context. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect. So they're all on the ground here as Jesus appears to Paul. Acts 22, 8 through 11. Jesus, Paul continues his testimony, if you will, to the Jewish mob at Jerusalem in the temple. And I, Paul, answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus the Nazarene whom you are persecuting. You persecute the body? Like you're doing, Paul, you're persecuting the head. That's why he said, I'm, you're persecuting me. And those who were with me saw the light, Paul continues. And those who were with me, his traveling companions, saw the light to be sure, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. Now, I think in Acts 9 it says they didn't hear, and some people say, oh, there's a conflict because they heard the voice, but they didn't understand it. No, they didn't hear and understand is what it means. They, did not, they heard the voice, but they didn't understand what the voice was saying. They just heard this you know, rumbling or so of something over there as they saw the bright shining light. Verse 10, And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Get up and go on into Damascus, and there you will be told of all that has been appointed for you to do. But since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And we all know the story of Paul's conversion. We go to verse 12 in Acts 22. Paul continues with his conversion story. A certain Ananias, a man who was devout by the standard of the law and well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there. Now notice what Paul's doing. He's still trying to show that, hey, this Christianity, this Christianity started amongst the Jews and there were Jews that believed and they were devout and they kept the law and they were devout by the well, standard of the law and they were well spoken of by all the Jews. That would refer to Ananias, the guy who prayed for me when I first saw Jesus in my vision. He was devout by the standard of the Jews, so that shows that even though Ananias was a Christian, he still kept the, uh, the ceremonial law, if you will, parts of the law that have nothing to do with salvation, but the festivals maybe, don't eat shrimp, don't eat pork, whatever, that's okay. Ananias was like that, he, but he was, and Ananias was not going around saying you had to be a Jew, circumcised of the Jewish faith in order to get saved. He wasn't saying that, but he was keeping the, the non-essential aspects of the law, just like the which did not contradict the letter from the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. But now the way Paul described this Christian Ananias, as Jameson Fawcett and Brown point out, from Paul's description, one would not even know he was a Christian. He, he was so Jewish, devout by the standard of the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived in Damascus. We go to verse 13 through 16 in Acts 22. Ananias came to me and standing near said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very time I looked up at him, and he said, The God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear an utterance from his mouth, for you will be a witness for him to all men of what you have seen and heard. Jesus is called the righteous one. You have been, Paul was appointed to know 
his, that's God the Father's will, and to see the righteous one, I mean, to see Jesus, because he saw Jesus, and to hear an utterance from his mouth. Righteous, of course, means perfectly holy, but no sin, perfection. Sinless perfection for, Jew, for Jesus. Verse 15, for you will be a witness for him to all men of which you have seen and heard. Now, why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Now, seeing the resurrected Christ was all important to Paul. He mentions it several times. For example, in Acts 26:16. But get up and stand on your feet. This is, again, recounting the story of his conversion experience on the road to Damascus. Get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you a minister and a witness. Not only, etc., etc., etc. I have appeared to you. Paul saw Jesus, 1 Corinthians 9, 1. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? He tells the Corinthians, I saw him face to face. You guys saw him in the flesh. I saw him resurrected in a vision. 1 Corinthians 15, 8. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. He again tells the Corinthians, I saw Jesus. He appeared to me. And this experience, of course, convinced him of the truth of the gospel. Now, Ananias told Paul, again, Paul is telling the story of his conversion, and, and he says that Ananias told Paul, don't delay, get up and be baptized. And this is very key. Christians are not supposed to, del to, to delay after they get saved. They're supposed to get baptized as soon as they get saved. That's the New Testament pattern. That was the pattern with Paul and with Ananias baptizing Paul. They didn't go to some kind of catechism class first like the Catholic Church started making people do, wearing these white robes and listening all kind of doctrine, get them educated, and then they couldn't even go to church. And then finally, oh, we passed the class, we, pa we passed our exam here, now we can get baptized and go join the other church members. That's nonsense. In the early church, the people you believed, then you got baptized. Stephen called Jesus the righteous one too, by the way, in Acts 7.52, as Jesus was being, as giving his speech before the persecuting mob, the Sanhedrin and their minions. He said this, which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, the coming of Jesus. Now let's make one other doctrinal note here. In verse 16, Paul says this, Get up and be baptized. Well, he's recounting what Ananias had told him. Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins. Does that mean that you have to get baptized to wash away your sins? No, it does not. It sounds like it, but that cannot be what it means. Look at Acts 8.37. This is the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch. And Philip said to the Ethiopian eunuch, If you believe with all your heart, you may be baptized. So see what comes first. You believe first, and then you're baptized. And then the, he, the Ethiopian eunuch, answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then Philip took him to get baptized. You believe first, you're baptized next. It's just that the act of believing in baptism was so close to each other that the gospel writers would put those two things together, and they're meant to refer to different events closely happening closely in time but still different events though but they, they weren't meant to be in apposition to where they were the same thing baptism comma which is the same thing as washing away your sins no it is not as the niv study bible says the reality and the symbol are closely related in the new testament the reality is your regeneration your being born again and the symbol is the washing of water with baptism the outward rite does not produce the inward grace, as the NIV Study Bible so succinctly puts it and correctly puts it. Now notice that Paul was appointed to know God, God's will and to see Jesus. How, how much works did Jesus did Paul do in order to get saved? Well, his works was he was throwing men and women, Christian men and women, into jail and persecuting them to the death. That's the works he did. 
And boom, Jesus appears and said, I want you, Paul. I mean, if you can't believe in salvation by grace after reading Acts 9 and, and the story of Paul's conversion, then you'll never believe salvation by grace. It's not by works. Paul had no works. He had no works at all. All his works were bad, evil works. And yet look what God did with him. Appointed him, as John Gill so eloquently puts it, quote, from all eternity in his everlasting purpose and decrees. Of course, John Gill's a Calvinist. Only Calvinists can talk like that. Only Calvinists know how to talk like that. Acts 22, verses 17 through 18. It happened when I returned to Jerusalem. Paul is continuing his speech before the Jewish mob. It happened when I returned to Jerusalem was praying in the temple that I fell into a trance and I saw him saying to me, and I notice he's returned to Jerusalem because he's a good Jew, a good Jewish boy. He was praying in the temple. So he's not against the temple. He's praying in the temple. He's not against Jerusalem because he went back to Jerusalem. He's trying to appeal to these, this Jewish mob. He went back into the temple. He's praying that I, I fell into a trance and I saw him, Jesus, saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And what Paul is trying to say is, well, you know, I've already run from Jerusalem once because the Jewish, the Jews in Jerusalem didn't believe me. And but this Jesus has actually told me uh, it's going uh, that it was going to happen. He predicted to me that I, but my word was not going to be received. And I think Paul is also kind of hinting at the Jews down there. He said, you know, you don't need to be like those earlier Jews who left Jerusalem. Uh, excuse me, who ran Paul out of Jerusalem by not believing. Now, there's a question of when Paul had returned to Jerusalem praying in the temple. It's what I call, well, it's the Galatians 1 visit, Galatians 1, 17 through 18. The, I also call it the Arabian Desert visit when Paul was in Damascus in the Arabian Desert for three years. Then he came down to Jerusalem. Or we can call it the 15-day visit, too. Galatians 1, 17 through 18. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas, that's Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. So that's 15-day visit. And sometime during that time, he was in the temple. He was praying. He had a trance. Now, a trance means when you are out. I mean, it's like a, I guess it's like a severe vision. It's not a dream. You're awake, and all of a sudden, you're in the spirit, and you're seeing things in the spirit, and you're not seeing what's around you in the natural with your natural eyeballs. Now, Paul said that Jesus in that vision told Paul to get out of Jerusalem quickly. Why was he supposed to get out of Jerusalem quickly? Well, actually, I just assumed it was because they, they were going to kill him. We can read Acts 9.29, and he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, but they were attempting to put him to death. That's why he got out. But some people say, no, he just wanted to the people weren't listening. Jesus told him to get out of Jerusalem that in that early part of Paul's conversion life, back in the 30s, in the early 30s, after he left the Arabian Desert, after he left Damascus and came to Jerusalem. Paul was told to get out of Jerusalem because the people weren't listening to him and it was a waste of time. John Gill believes that. I don't think Gill's right. I think he got out of Jerusalem because the Hellenistic Jews were attempting to put him to death. And that's why he got out. Now, this trance that Paul was in, there, Paul mentions another tr tr trance in 2 Corinthians 12, 2 through 4, and some people say this is the same trance as mentioned here in Acts when Paul was in Jerusalem. But this is uncertain, as John Gill and Adam Clark point out. This is, I'll read this trance verse in 2 Corinthians 12, 2 through 4. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a man was called up to the third heaven. Well, for, if it was 14 years ago, well, yeah, that could be. That could be in the early 30s. Corinthians was written around the mid, early 50s, I think. So, yeah, that could be. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or out of the body I do not know, God knows. 
Such a man was caught up to the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. Now, that's a, that's a, that's a bodacious trance there. You don't know whether you're in the body or out of the body. Caught up in the paradise. You hear words that you can't even repeat back to people on earth because they don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> now, here's a little application point about this verse. Jesus tells Paul earlier, assuming it was the first Jerusalem visit, the 15-day visit, he says, you need to get out because they will not accept your testimony about me. That shows that even a great apostle who has trances and who has visions from God, his testimony is not necessarily going to be believed. And in fact, we're going to see here very shortly this great defense that Paul is making. They're not going to believe it. They're going to start screaming for his head again. (laughs) So... Sometimes the gospel is rejected. It doesn't matter how great a witness you are and how many visions of God you've had. It just doesn't matter. Some people are so hard-hearted they're going to persecute you to the death. That's just the way it is. We now go to Acts 22, verses 19 through 20. And I said, Lord, they themselves understand that in one synagogue after another I used to imprison and beat those who believed in you. And again, Paul is still relating the time when the Lord gave him that vision, that trance, and said, get out of Jerusalem. This is the 15-day visit three years after Damascus. And Paul said, Lord, look, they themselves understand that in one synagogue after another, I used to imprison and beat those who believed in you. Now, the first question is, is why would Paul say that to Jesus? Why did he state that he'd been persecuting Christians? Jesus told him to get out, and Paul says, Lord, they understand that I used to imprison and beat those who believe in you. The reason is because Paul's agreeing with Jesus. He said, yeah, I understand, Jesus. I understand why you want me to get out. You want me to get out because I used to imprison and beat those who believed in you. Notice beat, flogged, death, flogging, imprisonment. Now, we've got to be careful here. Paul got out of Jerusalem because the non-believing Jews didn't believe what he says, but also he would have trouble with Christian Jews believing what, too, because he had beaten and, and, and imprisoned them. So he might have been saying, yes, Lord, I understand why i got to get out. i got to get out because the Christian Jews won't understand because I beat them. And then it's understood that he got, also had to get out because the non-believing Jews were going to try to kill him. As I read in Acts 9.29, let me read that again. And he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, but they were attempting to put him to death. So Hellenistic Jews were after Paul. The Christians didn't believe in Paul, and so he had to leave town. And I guess what Paul is trying to do is says, look, I've, I've been persecuted before. I've gone through a hard time before, and so you guys are doing nothing new that I'm not used to. Acts 22, verses 19 through 20. Uh, I've already read 19. Let's read 20. And when the blood of your witness Stephen was being shed, I also was standing by approving. Again, Paul is talking to Jesus having this trance that happened in the 30s uh, after the three-year uh, time in, in the Arabian Desert. He's in Jerusalem. He's had the trance from Jesus. And he's talking to Jesus during this trance, and he says, And when the blood of your witness Stephen was being shed, I also was standing by approving and watching out for the coats of those who were slaying him. In other words, Paul is going to the utter extreme to prove to the Jews that he was just as Jewish as they were at one time. And all of a sudden, something happened to him, and now he follows Jesus. And he's saying, look, if I can get converted, you guys can get converted. You need to stop screaming and hollering and listen to me. Because, man, I... I was so Jewish, I was killing Christians. I was throwing them in jail and getting them beaten. And if I can change coming from that bad position, you can too. Not only that, and he gave an example of Christians being killed. He was standing by and approving when Stephen, he, he 
kept the clothes of those who had to take the clothes off to throw the rocks at Stephen to execute him. Paul standing there saying, kill him. Yes, sir, kill him. That approving, by the way, doesn't necessarily mean that Paul is a member of the Sanhedrin, as the NIV Study Bible points out. Some have thought so, but it could just mean, and I think it probably does mean, he was just standing by approving because he kept the cloaks of the people who were throwing the stones at, at Stephen. So let's summarize the problems that Paul had in Jerusalem earlier as he's relating what happened in seeing Jesus in the trance. His problems can be summarized this way. The non-Christian Jews weren't going to listen to him because he was preaching Christ. But the Christian Jews weren't going to listen to him because he had previously persecuted them so severely. So Paul, Paul soiled his nest pretty good. It took him a while to get his reputation back before people started trusting him. We go to verse 21. Paul continues before the Jerusalem mob. Then he, Jesus, said to me, Go, because I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Now this again is Jesus speaking to Paul in that trance at the very at, within three years of his conversion experience. Jesus explains to Paul, hey, you are going to be a minister, not to the Jews so much, but to the Gentiles. Now, it's very interesting. As soon as Paul mentioned that word Gentiles, remember, they're listening now. They got quiet. They heard him speaking in Aramaic. They're listening to everything Paul says. His voice is ringing out over the temple complex. Everybody's hearing everything he said. And then he gets to the word Gentiles. Now, the Gentiles, ministering to the Gentiles was Paul's peculiar commission, as Adam Clark puts it. It's all through, the, as we've just seen, as we go through the book of Acts, he went to the synagogues first. They Sometimes they listened, but most of the time they didn't listen. They reviled him. They threw him out. They tra tracked him from one town to another, threw him, called him up before the Roman authorities, stirred up the crowd against him, stirred up riots. And so then Paul would go to the Gentiles, and he was getting a lot of Gentiles converted. So, he, in fact, he's called the apostle to, of the Gentiles. Peter's the apostle to the Jews. So, in verse 21... Paul relates what Jesus said in the vision. Then he, Jesus, said to me, Go, because I will send you far away to the Gentiles. We're going to stop right here. Our next audio, we'll see how the crowd responded. I'll give you a sneak peek. Verse 22. They listened to him up to this word. That word was Gentiles. That stopped them. Then they raised their voices, shouting, Wipe this person off the earth. It is a disgrace for him to live. The thought of trying to get those nasty Gentile dogs into the kingdom, that's, just, that's enough to kill somebody for We'll stop it right here. Hope you stay tuned for the next audio as we'll continue Paul's defense before the people and and the and the mob and the and the riots that occurred and what happened with, with Paul and Lysias. And that'll be next audio. I hope you enjoyed this one.